Praise the Lord, everyone. You have your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And while you're finding it, uh, let me say what a great honor it is to be here tonight. Always good to be home. Philippians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that you may approve all things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. For so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Skip down to verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know that I have a title tonight for what I want to talk to you about, but maybe it's learning how to rejoice no matter where you are. The Lord bless you may be seated. The Apostle Paul is writing to one of the churches that to him has been his source of strength, hope. This church has looked out for him. He had made several statements to others in, in, in his writings and even while he's traveling, going from place to place, that I've never taken anything from anyone. I've always provided for my own through work and labor, and I didn't depend on you for anything. But this church thought so much of him that no matter where he was at, on at least four occasions, sent him a special thanks or special offering or, or something just to show their gratitude towards him. At the writing of this gospel, he has just received a young man who has traveled all the way from the city of Philippi to the country or the city of Rome. And he has been sent by the church to take care of Paul. Paul is a prisoner. Unlike prisoners of our day, they didn't get three square meals a day. They only got fed if someone showed up and brought them something to eat. If they starved to death in prison, then they shouldn't have got put in prison to start with, so they just had no concern for prisoners at all, and so they were at their mercy of somebody that would come and feed them. And when the church at Philippi hears that Paul is in prison. They send a young man by the name of Epaphras to them or to him to make sure that he's taken care of. That's his job. Arriving in the city of Rome after a period of time, he becomes very sick to the point of almost death. Rome was known during that time in history to have 
fevers that would rage through the city and decimate the population. Many died as a result of so many people living in such close quarters without uh, sanitary means to get rid of, uh, of refuge and waste. And as a result, disease was quite rampant. And this young man had fallen victim of some of the diseases or something that was there and become sick unto death. And after his recovery, Paul is wanting to send him home and not cause him to go home in disgrace. He wants the people to receive him with open arms, and he wants them to, to realize that he didn't fail in his job. He did everything that was required of him, but I, I need to send him back to you because he's profitable to you. But he also brought me some news that bothers me, and so I want to send with him a letter for him to read to you when he gets there to let you know about some things that I think you need to pay attention to. There's several stories in this passage of Scripture. One of them is in the fourth chapter, and there are two people that are mentioned. You cannot find their names anywhere else in history. It's nowhere else in the Bible. And the only two references to this people, these two people, is that someone helped them to get along. They are at odds with each other. And, and someone needs to pay attention and focus on helping these two people not destroy the church. And he thought it important enough to send a letter by hand with this young man to simply address this issue. We don't know what their problem was, but as you read the letter, it becomes apparent that maybe it's the result of, of people starting to complain because life wasn't fair. And they weren't getting what they thought they ought to get out of life. And life wasn't blessing them. And, and because life wasn't in certain conditions, then they couldn't worship or they couldn't rejoice or, or they couldn't praise the Lord because they didn't have a reason to praise the Lord. So Paul starts addressing the reasons why we should praise the Lord and worship God. And he begins by using the word joy 27 times in this passage of Scripture. And he, he starts off by saying to them that, when I think about you, all I can think about is joy. Now, if you go back and read the book of Acts, you would wonder how in the world would Paul consider thinking about these people as joyful? Because it's here that he gets put in prison and beaten and left in prison to die. And at midnight, him and Silas decided to have a song fest. Now, they're not in a good church service. They're not in a comfortable building. Life's not going well for them. They have been beaten with stripes, and now they're waiting for some kind of punishment because there was a, a lady, a young lady, that men were using that had... A, a devil in her, and she was saying things and prophesying and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and Paul rebuked the devil and cast it out of her and, and changed her life. And now they're in prison for rebuking the devil out of someone, and now they're being punished for preaching the gospel. And so here's Paul, Silas, locked up in a prison, and the Scripture says at midnight, they began to sing, and as they began to sing, the, the building begins to tremble, and an earthquake shook the place, and, and in shaking it unlocked every door in the prison. The, the prisoners had the ability to escape, but they didn't. They stayed in the prison, probably because Paul and Silas recommended they not do so. All the prisoners there understood why that prison door opened because they felt the anointing and they felt what God was doing as these two men just start singing about God. 
I guess my age has caused me a little bit of problem because I, I, I start hearing things and, and, and hearing what people say, and then I start listening to what we sing, and, and, and it just gets a little irritating at times because I, I, I listen at what we say as worship, and we sing things like, take these chains off me so I can dance, which implies... You can't worship God with chains. So i got to get delivered from the bondage before I have the ability to worship. And that is absolutely contradictory to everything in the New Testament church. Paul and Silas didn't get out of chains to worship. They worshiped and the chains fell off. See, it, it, we've, we've somehow... Let our world convince us that because things are not going right, that, that maybe God's not on our side. History tells us that there is no church in the New Testament era that was persecuted like the church at Philippi. Paul's introduction to those people by being beaten and put in prison became the norm for everybody in that church. And that became their lifestyle. And over time, this persecution on and on and on and on and on and on uh, apparently began to bother them. And, and the odds are Job's comforter showed back up, just like in the book of Job, when, when nothing is wrong in Job's life, but life takes a turn for the worse, and in one day, everything's gone, and now they're going to tell him, you're a sinner, you've done this, you've done that, and if you hadn't done this, this wouldn't have happened. And apparently, there were people coming through the city telling them, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're not doing this right. You're not preaching the gospel correctly. You're not telling the story right. Maybe you shouldn't preach it the way you're preaching it, and, and if you'll just give people permission to be sinners and, and, and to live in the flesh, you wouldn't be persecuted like you are. So, so don't be so hard on people. If, if it's because of what you stand for, it's what's causing your persecution. And so there's these dogs that show up that Paul talks to them about. He, he just said, rejoice in the Lord always, and boom, instantly he gets this flash of people. There's some dogs that's there that, that's causing issues, and they're ravaging people because they don't really have a clue. You see, we sing about it in the song. When you read the, the Psalms, David understood that his source was from God and that he is a shelter in the time of storm. David didn't say the storm would go away. David didn't indicate that life would change where there wouldn't be a struggle or a battle of any kind. David just said, when there's a storm, there's a shelter. He will hide me under his wing because I am what? Safe. Where? When everything's going well? In the time of trouble. In the time of trouble. And we live in a world today that we're so paranoid and so obsessed with, with never experiencing anything uncomfortable that we, and, and I get in trouble when I make these kind of statements, and so we're so terrified that we inoculate our children against everything because we don't want to get any kind of disease, and as a result, they can't fight one disease because their bodies have never gone through the process of, of fighting something, recording the data in the, in the blood system so that the next time it shows up that they have the ability to conquer it. So we just, we're going to inoculate. And so we get that idea about the church. We can just inoculate people from trouble. When you come to the house of God and become God's kid, troubles are going. You're going to kick it back in your easy chair with your big gulp and, and just cruise into heaven. You, know, you just got a target painted on you because when you weren't doing anything that the devil didn't like, he didn't bother you. But the instant you start doing something that affects his territory, 
I can guarantee you that every kind of chaos in the world is going to show up. That don't mean you're on God's bad side. That just means you're doing something right. If you weren't, the trouble wouldn't show up. Bible indicates in the last day that there will be a farmer and a latter rain. In the last days, God has promised that He will double whatever happened in the beginning. You're not just going to get the latter rain, you're going to get the farmer rain with the latter rain. So, whatever God has done before, expect to see it double. But you can't expect to see victory. If there hasn't been a battle. You see, we we were told tonight of a miracle. X-rays showed that Brother Hodges' intestines were twisted. They had multiple, not just one, but when I understand the story, there's multiple ones. And the doctors were shocked when they injected the the gas to enlarge him enough to get a camera and look, there's no in, there's nothing twisted. Well, why we ought to not be shocked about that at all. We ought to understand, you know what? God just on our side. God knows what's wrong and what can help us. I, I shared with you the story several a year before last, I think, of uh, of uh, an encounter I had in the state of Illinois. We were had finished service and was uh, eating afterwards, and a, a man who drove hours to get there, hadn't been there, but just for that night, would only be there for that night, was going home the next day, came in and sat down and was was talking to us, started telling us a story that he, he works in surgery, he's a nurse, and he works with the doctors there, and there was a man, an apostolic, that had had colon cancer, and they had performed surgery the year before. And it was, it was in its later stages, and they really didn't think that he would ever be able to survive, that uh, his, it, it would come back, and they were concerned. They were keeping uh, tabs on him, and they were checking him on a regular basis. And he had come in for his yearly checkup. I think he had a six-month and a yearly checkup. And so he's there for that checkup, and they're going to do the procedure. And he said, I, I was... I was standing there at his feet preparing to get all these instruments ready for this procedure. And he said, all of a sudden, I, I, I smelt an aroma in the room that smelt like, he said, the closest thing I can describe what it smelt like is grass that has just been mown, mowed. And, and you can smell the aroma of uh, alfalfa or grass that a lawnmower has cut and released the aroma of, uh, of the plant. He said, it's kind of what it smelled like. I couldn't, I, I'm trying to figure out where in the world is this aroma coming from. And he said, when I turned around and looked, I saw an angel disappear through the wall of that operating room. And he said, when I saw it, I forgot where I was at. He said, I'm scrubbed up, doctors, everybody's here. And I turned and looked, and I, he said, I just started speaking in tongues. And it became so forceful and powerful, he said, I, I couldn't control it. And then it dawns on me what I'm doing. He said, when I turned around and looked, everybody in that operating room is staring at me. And the doctor, who is from India, he is staring intently at me. And he said, who taught you my language? He said, I don't know you. Oh, you Yes, you do know my language. You were speaking in a dialect only spoken in my village. Who taught you my language? No one taught you my language. I don't know what you're talking about. You spoke my language. Who taught you my language? So I, I don't know your language. Please tell him. I'm from the sticks. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even hardly speak English correctly. I don't know somebody else's language. And all of his friends said, he doesn't know another language. He said, you were speaking my language. He said, okay, what did I say? He said, you kept repeating over and over and over and over. Out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. And when they put their scopes inside the man to check 
the doctor is shocked and he pushes back and he said, what happened in this room? This is not the man that we've been looking at before. This colon is the colon of a baby. This is not the colon of someone who's had surgery. There's no scars inside this colon. There's no indication surgery's ever. What happened to this man? So this is what church is about. But that miracle couldn't have happened without the problem to start with. So it happened. God's going to do that on a regular basis. That is what the end of time is going to be about. There are going to be all kinds of stories that we're going to hear of God healing and God doing things for people. And it might as well start right here. But for it to start here, we got to change the way we think. And, and when you get to the end of the, the letter, chapter 4, you discover that their whole process has a problem because they've allowed themselves to think a certain way. And so Paul instructs them, here's how you think. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We are letting our minds today be tormented by the world we're around and, and stuff people are saying or posting on Facebook, and that's got to be the dumbest thing that life has ever invented. It's just an an arena for people to jab at somebody and say things, and, and then you read it and your brain gets all messed up, and you, and you start thinking in negative terms. And as a result, the miracles God has for our lives, they're not happening because we start being convinced that the only way you can truly worship is when everything's going right. i got to have the right kind of atmosphere. Someone get these chains off. The Apostle Paul says, no, all the palace knows about my chains. The word bond means chains. All the palace knows that I am chained to a guard and that these guards are supposed to intimidate me. This group of guards started under Augustus, this Caesar back 185, 190 B.C. And he creates this elite group of soldiers that they'd send around the world to bring peace and harmony. And they're, they're highly trained. By, by the time Nero shows up, they've been converted from soldiers that uh, take, uh, make sure that the nation is at peace and people remain at peace till they have become his trained assassins. And every time he wants to take somebody out, he just sends one of these 10,000 soldiers and that person's life's over. And so... This old man in prison has affected his life. All the palace knows about me. And history tells us the reason all the palace knew about him is somehow Paul got to Miss Nero. And Miss Nero was baptized and become a convert. And as a result of her getting the Holy Ghost and being baptized, Nero's now irritated. So I'm going to take care of this old man. I'm going to put him in bonds. And so Paul writes laughing. He said, you know, I got stuck in jail there. And at midnight we just prayed. And when we started praying at midnight in that place, that experience produced a revival that produced you people that I'm writing about. Because if I hadn't got put in prison and the place hadn't have come open as a result of an earthquake, and we hadn't converted the jailer and his family, and the revival exploded and broke out there, I wouldn't be able to write you a story. But because of that jail, this chain I'm wearing don't bother me at all. Because I know that to me, to live, is Christ. To die, I'm just in His presence. That's game. So if, if I go through death, I'm out of here, and that's where I want to be anywhere. But as long as I'm here while I'm alive, it's not for my benefit. It's not for anybody else's benefit. It's for Christ's benefit. So for me to live, it's not about me. It's about Him. 
And when I start understanding it's about him, then this battle is not mine. This, this encounter we're having, it's not about me or what I'm doing. It's all about him. And I can promise you he knows how to win every battle. I can promise you he knows wherever devil is hit at, and he is able to conquer him no matter what. But I don't need to get rid of chains so that I can rejoice. I can just rattle my chains because I don't need a tambourine when I've got chains. I can make my own noise to let everybody know, you know what, there's not a chain nor a low ceiling prison. They say that the Mamertine prison height was less than 5 foot 8 inches tall. I'd have to bend over to get in that place, and most of you would. So this little old man is stuck in this hole where he can't stand up. But does that keep him? He said, well, if I check out and he takes my life, fine. But as long as I'm here, it's about him. And it doesn't matter what life produces, it's about him. So no matter how bad it gets, it's still about him. No matter the conflict that shows up, it's still about him. No matter the problems, it's still about him. No matter the issues, it's still about him. It's not about me, it's about him. For me to live, for me to live is Christ. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ that lives through us. And He is our source of strength. Ladies and gentlemen, God is not mean, He's not evil, and He's not vindictive. He's not out to get us. He's not out to wreck our lives. He's not out to destroy one of us. He's not going to torture you or torment you or put you in positions you know, sometimes we talk about God as if He's He's perverted. You know, we, 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 we say things that about Him allowing things to come to our lives because i got a flaw. And so He's going to send this horrible event to come to me because there's something in me He needs to get out. And that's what Job's comforters kept telling Job. And at the end of Job's life, when this battle uh, of just maybe 14 days at the most is over and when it's finally over and God shows up. Now he had first talked to Job because Job got, you know, Job said, you know, it'd be better to be charred by, by a dragon. <laughs> That's actually in the book of Job. It'd be, my life would be better if a dragon just breathed on me and I get charred because I've lost it all. So he, he got, they, they kept hammering at him until he started thinking like them a little bit. And God didn't let him destroy himself because he had stood for righteousness. So when he saw Job about to crumble, God shows up. First thing he said to Job, well, Job, got a question for you. Where were you at the day I spoke the world into existence? Where were you when I caused all this to happen? I didn't need your counsel, Job. I, I, I was. You didn't need to be there for any of that. But, Job, you have done the right thing. And, and because you've done the right thing, these three men's life are in your hands. You can either set them free and let them go, or I will take their lives. It's in your hand. You have the power of life and death over these three men. You, you decide, Job, because of what they've done. And, and Job chose to forgive them so they could be whole. So Paul understands this. This is their story that he knows. He's lived, and he understands that this is not about what I'm in or what's going on around me. See, the psalmist would say, this is the day. Now, did anybody find an asterisk that said it was the sun was shining that day? Anybody find an asterisk that, that claimed that that this is the day the Lord has made when everything's perfect and everything's all right and everything's on top and everybody's having a great day? No. David wrote those kind of statements when he's looking at a giant or he's fighting a battle that he don't know how he's going to get out of. And he'd just say, you know what? This is the day that the Lord hath made. I might, I will Maybe I ought to entire list tonight, I will. And it's time that some of us start living life by I will. You know, 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come me. I will not let life torment me or cause me to get focused on junk that's going to distract me from letting God live through me. That's what we're doing. So we, we sing songs about wanting to be free, 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 free. And Paul would rattle chains and say, well, I don't understand that song. Free? You don't need to be free. You just need to love God where you're at. And if you start loving God where you're at and singing to Him, then the chains fall off. You don't have to get them off to do it. you got to do it to get them off. So we got the process backwards. We, we think you got to get them off so I can be free, so I can do this. But that's not the truth. The truth is, if I want this to happen in my life, I don't have to get anything off. I, I don't have to expect things to come off. All I've got to do is simply make up my mind. You know what? This is how I'm going to live life. Because the peace of God, chapter 4, I think verse 7, and the peace of God with the path of all understanding shall, that's an absolute, that's not a possibility, that's not a maybe so, shall keep your hearts and minds. The peace of God will make sure that no enemy has any ability to get into your life and wreck your life and cause you chaos. It's going to guard your heart, your seat of emotion, cardia, your will, your intellect. It will guard the way you think as long as you let it guard you. It will guard your mind, noose, which is the reflective conscience. Our, our, our word would be your, your stored, your data bank, all your past, all that junk you've got up here. The peace of God will guard it so that it can't be drug out to use against you. can't be used as a whipping post or, or a tool to extract revenge or, or cause you chaos or wreck your life. God said, I will not allow an enemy into your life to torment you. I won't let him show up and wreck your life. But what I will let you do is wreck his. I will give you the authority to walk on serpents. That's always speaking of the devil. I'll give you authority over him. I'll give you authority to speak to him. I'll give you authority to control him. And I am here to tell you tonight, it is time that we as God's kids stand up and take authority over things that are tormenting and causing chaos. Somebody needs to speak to the devil and say, Devil, I take authority over you because I have been empowered through his name to do so. You cannot have anything that belongs to me. We've got to quit posting on Facebook all the problems and whining about it and start doing things that make us apostolic. And sometimes that's singing in prison. Sometimes that's singing when there's change and it's dark and everybody else around you is saying, shut up, what are you singing? So we're trying to sleep here. Would you just let us sleep? But those two old men, didn't, they weren't bad enough. They just kept right on singing. And a minute that place began to tremble and the doors fall open and the doors... Now, I've never seen an earthquake loosen chains. How'd that happen? The earthquake didn't. <laughs> Took angels to do that. And angels released chains, and they could have fled and got out of there. This is what you were built on, Philippi. This is your foundation. This is where you came from. My question to you tonight is, what were you built on? Where'd you come from? What brought you here? You better make sure you never forget the foundations your life was built on. And, and you, you can't get past those things because that's what makes us who we are. We, we don't need a new doctor, a new message. The message we have has always worked, and it will always work when it's preached right. The death, burial, and resurrection, that's the only message that changed life. If you're not born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. It's simple. That's an absolute, unless a man is born of water and of spirit. He cannot 
enter the kingdom of God. How's he born of water? Baptism. That is not mother's birth. The Greek structure of that sentence makes that an impossibility. It's not speaking of two events. It's speaking of one event. So born of water is baptism. Going down in that name and baptism is what makes us who we are. That's what causes us to be different than anybody else because we've had his name attached to us in baptism. We have been buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, just like Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But in the Alexandrinus manuscript, it says a little bit differently. It says, then Peter quoted. It doesn't say, then Peter said. It says, then Peter quoted, repent. And be what is he quoting? What Jesus has told them. Father is not a name. Matter of fact, it's got an article in it front of it. And the article is the, which means the one and only name of the Father, and the one and only name of the Son, and the one and only name of the Holy Ghost, and that name is Jesus. Because Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. So that means the Father's name is Jesus, or it's Yeshua, or Yahashua of the Old Testament. It's translated from the Hebrew language and the Greek language as Jesus and Jesus in the Spanish language and Jesus in the English language. Still the same name. Just transliteration. But that name is important. That's what made us who we are. That's how we got here. And Paul's reminding Philippi, don't forget where you come from. Don't forget the miracle that brought you here and, and the things that, that changed and, and caused this to happen. Greater life, better never forget a storefront over on 518 because that's what made this church and that's what brought it towards that and that's its history and that's how we got here. There have been incredible things happen in this 25, 26-year journey that this church has been on. That's how we got here. Paul's reminding them, don't forget. But when you don't forget, you better remember that you've got to rejoice every time you think about why you're here. You rejoice because you remember, oh, that's, that's where I got out of jail. That's where life changed. I, I rejoice because you love the brethren and you love people. And, and, but then he has to tell them, y'all don't bicker with one another. Y'all don't cause disunity. Bickering. Blasphemia is the Greek term. Slander. You know, some of these Greek definitions of some of these words that I find in the Bible, when I look at them, every one of them apply. I better shut up. Okay. Y'all know where I'm at. You know what I mean. Yeah, they all describe that stupid thing to a T. And then we get mad at it and don't understand why we're mad at it. Won't you leave the stupid thing alone? <laughs> then we'll make you mad no more. But I got to know what people are doing. Seriously. What's happened to us that we've got so distracted? See, these two ladies in the fourth chapter. The only mention they get out of history is they couldn't get along. That's what they're known for in this church. And they're forever in history as two ladies who couldn't get along. Wow. Be terrible at the end of life that the statement's made about us that this is how we're remembered. We never figure out how to get along with anybody. And everything was contentious. Everything become an issue. For to me, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not about what I do. It's about who He is. And there's none like him. So Mark and I, we're here today because 
God healed a woman the doctor said couldn't have kids. When my brother met the pastor's daughter in high school, and she started inviting the church, and this 15 or 16-year-old went to a wild Pentecostal church where they used to call us holy rollers. And I had an uncle that had been trying to find someone who believed the book of Acts, and he couldn't find a church. And my brother heard him say that one day, and he said, Oh, Uncle Ernest, I can tell you where people believe that. He said, Where? He said, That little church over on the corner of J Street, Kemp Boulevard. I don't remember the cross street, but 1914 Kemp Boulevard. I remember the address. Drove back not long ago, just to go back to remember. Less than two months ago, got to drive right back, and I pulled up and parked there. It's not there anymore, but that's where he went. And he got the Holy Ghost. He had double pneumonia. This is in January. It's in the, it's cold enough, there's ice on, they didn't have baptistry. There was a family church had a pond out at the edge of town. And so they went out to baptize my brother with double pneumonia and broke the ice. And baptized him with double pneumonia. When he come up out of that water, he didn't have pneumonia no more. He was totally whole. Because there's just something about that water and that name that just does all kinds of stuff for us. He come up out of that water healed. Mom had been sick for months. From listening to the description, she probably had leukemia. She couldn't walk across the floor without being exhausted. Weighed about 80 pounds, horribly sick. And my brother, after he gets healed, mom starts going to church with him. My dad said, no, we're not being, we, we don't nothing to do with those Pentecostals. No way. We, we're not going that crazy bunch. But mom kept going. And she didn't get the Holy Ghost. Saw it for several months. One day dad was working and he was tempering leaf springs in a furnace at Joe Loden's. And he had opened that door to stick that spring in. And when he did, he saw a vision of hell. And it terrified him. He threw his tools down. He told his boss, I'm going home. Boss didn't ask a question. He said, why are you going home, Mr. Hughes? You know, you, you haven't worked for just a few hours this morning. He said, all right, see you tomorrow, Mr. Hughes. Dad got in the car, drove home. They had one vehicle. Mom hear him come in, hears him come in the driveway and come to the door. Said, Edward, what's wrong? So call the preacher. We're going to church. So they called the preacher, and Dad drove across town. That I think it was Tuesday morning. That Tuesday morning, preacher met him at the church, unlocked the church, and they went in. They had a little prayer meeting that morning, and Dad got baptized and got the Holy Ghost that day. Now that infuriated Mom because she didn't have it. So on the way home from church one night, she got to worship from the Lord in the car and got the Holy Ghost in the car driving from our park back to Wichita Falls. The Lord healed her. I got, had a brother 17 years older than me. He was almost 21 years older than Mark. He healed her. We're here. We're here. We're here. Because God healed a woman the doctor said could never have any more children. And she was in her middle 30s. Dad was 40 years old when I was born. That's way down their life. Gave mom and dad four more children. When I was six, she's diagnosed with cancer. Doctors say she'll never live. I remember that. Mark was just an infant, maybe a year old. Margaret was a newborn. Her mother had died of cancer the year before, the same one mom's got. And my grandmother's identical twin died the year before that with the same cancer. She's really sick. I remember sneaking up, listening to mom pray. The ladies in the neighborhood set up a schedule where they'd come to our house every day. I think there were six ladies. Dad was home on Sunday, so he took care of Sunday. But the latter milks were two houses of them across the street, the Weldys, Wilsons, uh, the Pittmans. And they came every day, 
one of those ladies cooked, washed clothes, cleaned the house while mom was too sick. And we watched her just get weaker and weaker. She got down to about 80 pounds again. Couldn't hardly get up. Couldn't hardly walk. The doctors didn't give her much hope. We're going to have treatment for cancer in 1957. I'd sneak up and listen to her pray. It didn't matter who was at my house at 1 o'clock. Mom was going to pray. And if I can tell you anybody could pray, that little Indian lady could pray. And she'd pray. She never complained because she knew how to worship with changing. I never heard her complain one time. I just heard her praise the Lord, thank her. See, in six months' time, 37 members of my mother's family had received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name in a very short period of time. And I'd just go listen. She'd thank the Lord for everyone who had got the Holy Ghost. All these great things the Lord had done. At the end of her prayer, which usually lasts at least an hour, I'd hear her say every time she'd conclude it, Lord, you healed me when they said I couldn't have any kids, and you gave me four more children. God, how could it be your will for some other woman to raise these children? She lived to be 84. <laughs> she raised her kids, her grandkids, neighbor's kids, church kids. That's where we came from. So you've you, you got to worship with the chains on, not with them off. If you can't worship and rejoice when things are bad, you can't expect them to get good. But if you'll start worshiping when the junk's there, about eight years ago, nine years ago, maybe longer than that, Jill called me one day in a panic. Dad, where are you? I said, I'm home. Don't move. I'm coming home. Okay. I'm not going anywhere. And when she walked through the front door, I was waiting on her, so it was Leanne. She walked in. She said, Dad, I was at the dentist, and he just ran two tests, and I have cancer on my tongue. They confirmed it in the office by test dating. She has cancer. Not at my house. So I just wrapped my arms around and started praying. She went for a checkup a few days later, and it was gone. Even though they had done two separate tests to verify what it was, it was gone. Because he said, by my stripes are you healed. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for the chastisement of our peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's an absolute. But you can't have the absolute unless you take authority over whatever is causing the issues of life and say, enough, enough. I take authority over this in the name of Jesus because I have a right to use it because I was buried in it. And I will speak that name in Jesus' name. For to me to live is Christ because it's not about me. It's about him. Please stand. Gracious Father, Thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for your word that on a regular basis tries to remind us to go back and think about the place that you brought us from. Lord, I thank you today for your word that forever reminds us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in you there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
You are never changing. You're always the same. You have been there all the time. But I have sometimes let life distract me into looking and focusing on things that get my attention and take my eyes off of you. And I start seeing things that can cause me to be angry and resentful and even cause bitterness to arise in my life. God, I, I pray tonight that I'd, I'd get my eyes focused back on the night that the jailhouse trembled and rocked and the chains fell off and the doors were open because you set us free and you liberate us. God, I want to get my eyes focused back on all of those incredible things that you have done in life. When you've healed and you have delivered and you've never seen the righteous forsaken nor your seed out begging bread. I thank you tonight because this is the day that the Lord hath made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the day. I don't care what trouble may come. I don't care the issues of life. You will hide me under the shelter. You will hide me under your wing. You're always there in the time of trouble. Thank you, Lord. Thank you today. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. There's none like you today. I give you glory and honor. I bless your wonderful name. You and you alone are worthy. I bless you today. I bless you today. I bless you today. Lord, I pray tonight that you would release your spirit into this place. And those that need healed by your power, I pray tonight, Lord, that your healing virtue flows and moves tonight and that lives are changed and transformed by the power of your spirit. Because you are the healer today. There is none like you. I worship you today, Jesus. I worship you today, Jesus. Satan, you will have no part in our families. We take authority over you tonight. You will not control. You will not have dominion. We resist you in the name of Jesus. You must flee and go back to where you came from. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.